Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Janie Lacey. She is the CEO and founder of Life Counseling Solutions. She's also a TEDx speaker, the founder and creator and owner of Women Redeemed, as well as, and last but certainly not least, a licensed relationship trauma psychotherapist. How are you doing today, Janie? I am doing wonderful. I'm here breathing and I'm alive. No complaints. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. You woke up on the green side of the grass. So that's That's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today and taking the time to to be a guest and share a bit about your story and your journey with us. I know that you and I have been trying to connect to get this done for quite some time now, so I'm really happy and excited and honored to have you here today to finally get this conversation going. So thank you so much for making the time. I appreciate you. Absolutely. My pleasure. So Janie, as mentioned, you all the things, TEDx speaker, founder, creator, owner of Women Redeemed, all of that amazing stuff. How long have you been a relationship trauma psychotherapist? Well, I started practicing in 2007 as a licensed therapist, and then I metamorphed into the relationship trauma after just working with many clients that I believe God put in front of me that made me feel like I really needed to specialize. And then through that journey, just discovered, you know, some of my own dots, which made me even more passionate to to help a lot of people in the relationship space. Because I, I do believe, Brad, that we all, whether we are aware of it or not, have some level of trauma in relationships, which will affect how we show up at work, our life, relationships, as our as parents, all those things. It's all on a spectrum. So since uh, two thousand seven, two thousand seven. Okay. So how far into your journey as a therapist did you shift gears into the spe- the specificity of the field you're in now? Probably, I would put it right around two thousand nine. Okay. I was seeing a lot of different women in particular that had trauma women or in the context of their relationships and couples counseling. And someone had introduced me, a fellow colleague had introduced me to Dr. Patrick Carnes, who full circle moment, Brad, just to let you know, I now (laughs) work for his institution as a faculty member. I'm a faculty (laughs) member for the International Institute of Trauma and Addictive Professionals, which is founded by Dr. Patrick Carnes. So back then, someone introduced me to his work. And I originally was doing some work with Mark Laser, who since passed, who was in the Christian relationship, trauma, compulsive space. And then I wanted more work, uh, more training. And that's when Pat Carnes was introduced to me. So I started my, it's what we call a CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist. And in that, I specifically right now are specifically specialized in relationship trauma or what we call love addiction. It's not a DSM term, but it's how it shows up the umbrella term, how it shows up in women. So I teach right now for his Institute, other therapists, how to work with women and trauma 
in particular, because what we'll find, especially in the therapy world, is that a lot of people actually get, get this, Brad, people get traumatized by going to therapy. <laughs> what? I'm laughing about it, but it's not funny in the wow. sense of we're not all created equal. So right. especially for women, when I'm using very general um, terms, but when they see a, a generalist who doesn't necessarily specialize or really understand how trauma shows up in relationship, then we get labels slapped on them is bipolar, you know, hysteronic, or, you know, she's, she's a um, borderline, right? Yeah. Like, or, all these terms get thrown on our females in particular. And then when they show up, especially in the counseling space with their spouse, right? If their spouse is sitting cool, calm and collected, and she's having these emotional reactions, well, then she must be the problem, right? So a lot of women in particular in the therapy process, when they come to me, they usually have seen several therapists until they realize that if my foot, if I'm having problem with my feet, I probably need to go to someone who specializes in feet. Yes. <laughs> right? yes. So by the time they come to our practice, which we're a specialty practice and all eight therapists, we all specialize in, in our different areas. They already come with apprehension and apprehension because, okay, I've been to therapy, but you know, here I am trying it one more time. So they come with apprehension. A lot of it's because they've also been traumatized and felt misunderstood through the counseling process. Now, in your practice, do you work specifically and only with women or is it both men men and women? Well, right now, majority of my clients and in my groups are women. Okay. However, I do have a population of men because I am a certified sex addiction therapist. So that's usually how they end up coming to me. Or I work with them in the context of their relationship, um, couples therapy, couples counseling. So probably I would probably say close to like 60%, 60 to 70% are women that are dealing with some type of relationship, toxic relationship, some type of trauma, or they're a spouse of someone who would be classified of having uh, having difficulty with uh, sexual compulsivity. So I'm assuming then this just kind of probably organically happened for you and in terms of your clientele being 60 to 70% women, but in the area of helping women or helping your clients deal with relationship trauma in terms of abuse and whatnot, I'm assuming that would probably be all women, correct? Not necessarily. Oh, okay. So it, it doesn't. So women now come to me, not necessarily organic, but from a business standpoint, I'm also okay. a businesswoman. So I like to talk business. Yes. That I market to my avatar, right? So my yeah. avatar, she's 38, she's divorced, she's been through a string of toxic relationships, but you'll find her hanging out at Starbucks and she still gets. <laughs> The uh, fantasy in her head that the guy, the one is going to walk through the Starbucks door, right? Yeah. So my avatar, <laughs> I know who she is. I know where she shops. I know what she's looking for. And I know the, the Netflix uh, movies that she watches. <laughs> so a lot of my <laughs> conversations and my marketing is catered to my avatar. So then they know I'm speaking to them and then right. they come through that lenses, which I, sometimes therapists don't do a good job right. of finding out who their avatar and doing good work. So a lot of the times, the women over the years, I'm looking collectively through my years as a therapist, majority of them will find me that come through some type of victimization of abuse, whether it's emotional abuse, it could be physical abuse, or they've repetitively have had promises broken to them, especially in my area, it's a compulsive cheating or right. spouses, a, a sex addict in particular. But it's not always the case. There are men that I've worked with through the years who they are the victims of abuse or they are would be the codependent and their wife or partner is actually the love or sex addict. 
And it's usually something that's underreported with, with male clients. There's just a different manifestation of shame, I would say, around that. Well, yeah, I think that speaks to the conditioning that we as men are brought up with when we're kids, right? Boys aren't supposed to show emotion and all of that stuff around that, which leads into that whole shame factor around admitting that they have been abused or whatever the case may be um, for men, right? Absolutely, right? There's toxic masculinity through the years, generations, and realizing that men have feelings, men hurt, (laughs) men have feelings, right? Men actually have feelings, they need to be loved, accepted just as women, right? But there's been this this culture that if you show vulnerability or you show emotion, then you're not a man or man, right? right? All these toxic messages. So then when it's about time they come to therapy, we're unpacking, right? We have to unpack all that toxic stuff because then the way that it presents in therapy or in my specialty for men is anger, right? right? So anger is a secondary emotion. And underneath anger, there's primary emotions like depression, anxiety, all these other things, which then come from core wounds, like a rejection and abandonment. But the way that they will show that power is through anger or shutdown. They're either out of control from yeah. an, from this is their trauma response, out of yeah. control, anger, or completely shut out or ice their spouse, right? So we'll yeah. see those extreme ways in which the unresolved trauma in men in particular gets manifested as a partner, right? But as someone who will struggle with addictions, addiction is non-relational relief. So we see high addictions with pornography, compulsive use of pornography, compulsive masturbation, compulsive um, relations with other people outside of their primary relationship, you know, so we'll see it manifest in different ways. But underneath that for men, right, a lot of people from a society standpoint can judge the behavior, but from a therapeutic standpoint, we know that there's a hurting soul underneath that that they're coping with something that's yet to be resolved. Yeah, there's a lot more there's a lot more underlying there than just what what you see the which is manifested in the behaviors that they're acting out, right? Exactly. Now, you being a therapist, what was the catalyst or what was the inspiration behind you going into that field of work? Well, there's a uh, many stories to that one, but I'll give you the the quick version. So, I was going to the University of Central Florida. So, my undergrad is in business management, and I was uh, applied to the MBA program, and I was in the MBA program. But Brad, I just <laughs> I was not doing well in the MBA program as far as accounting and just finance and just all these dry classes. <laughs> but in that, I realized that I had a lot of public speaking. It is hard for people when they understand some of my whys, but my I was not good at public speaking. Right. I did not, I had low self-esteem. I had uh, lots of trauma around losing my voice, which I'll share about. Yeah. But I was in the MBA program. We had to do all these PowerPoint presentations and I would literally get sick <laughs> to my stomach before I had to go and present. And, you know, a lot of group presentations and all this stuff. So the short of it is, <laughs> I applied to a leadership enhancement program at the University of Central Florida. And by God's grace, and I do say God's grace because he knew his plan for my life before I knew my plan for my life. So um, I was accepted into this program and that was not the norm because in order to get into this leadership enhancement program, you had to have a minimum of a master's degree. And I did not have my master's degree, barely had my bachelor's degree. But Dr. Valerie King, who was over this program, saw something in me and she accepted me into this program. So one of my goals in this program was to learn how to communicate and to learn how to, you know, do all the business things so that I could be successful pretty much in the MBA program. Right. 
So in this, uh, the, the short of it is in this program, she had paired me with a licensed mental health counselor and along with another woman, but the licensed mental health counselor was my first direct experience to the counseling field, to someone in therapy, because before that I had toxic thoughts about therapy. It's funny now, but I'm like, who goes to therapy? (laughs) You know, I was one of those, bring it to to God. Like who goes to, yes, it's it's funny how 360, how I turned out to be the very thing I would speak against. (laughs) That is hilarious. It's true. So in that I was exposed to her and part of our projects was the three of us had to go around to, to different employee groups is the best way I'll explain it at the university of central Florida. And we had to talk about your personal mission statement, vision statement, how to bloom where you're planted. So in that I realized a fire was lit under me. So I actually enjoyed the one-on-one after our presentations, people would come up to us, ask us advice and just talk to us and connect. And for someone at the time who was very reserved because of my own trauma, like that one-on-one connection and realizing that, okay, I I have something here and they're seeking me for it, you know, just opened up something that I didn't even, never even considered before then. So I had a mentor at that time who was also my boss. His name is Dr. Michael Dyke and he's over the health services at the University of Central Florida because I was working my way through college. He was kind of like a father figure. I'm a big believer that God puts these to me, angels along the way that are surrogates to the people in our life that we didn't have. So I did not have a healthy father who was an addict himself. So Dr. Dyke and I used to have, I looked at him, I didn't realize it at the time, Brad, but I looked at him as his father figure and I was just really intimidated by him, but I worked for him. I was his his executive secretary. Right. So I went into his, his office I knocked on the door and I had said, you know, Dr. Dyke, and I need to ask you a personal question if you have time. And he's like, of course. So I go in his office and I remember I was nervous as if I was going to talk to my own father. And I yeah. said, Dr. Dykin, I think I'm going to drop out of the MBA program and enroll in a counseling psychology program. <laughs> I said it so quickly. <laughs> Just to get and it out there. <laughs> it's, it's funny how, you know, Brad, when we have people in our life, who we think so much of how much yeah. influence we give them and that can work good or bad. Yes. So I'm so glad that he was a man of integrity and I respected him and his family. So he said to me, Janie, I don't know why I didn't think of that before. And that's why I made this decision. I literally made the decision off of the approval of my boss, who I looked as a mentor to drop out of the MBA program and enroll in a counseling psychology program. Obviously, that's the front story. When I look back, I'm exactly where I need, needed to be. But yeah. God just used these, what I call these guideposts along the way to let yeah. me know. And I thought at this time, just not having guidance in my own life, as far as making careers and decisions, I would mirror a lot of things I would see along the way. And one of those was I said, okay, well, if I get a business degree, I can't go wrong. If I get a business degree, you know, this is the advice I would hear along the way. So then when I went into the counseling psychology program, I thought to myself, oh man, what a waste. I did this business management program. But full circle, (laughs) I'm now 11 years a business owner turned a a solo practice to, you know, a multi um, therapy practice. So I look at that the bridge, the in hindsight, we connect the dots, but the business management, all those other things was preparing me for the woman I am today as a female entrepreneur business owner, who's also a therapist. <laughs> I told I'm you seeing, it was a long story. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing a, a theme here. These these 360 moments for you, you come in full circle. I think it's great. Yes, there That's... are many of them. I'll tell you a quick one. <laughs> is that when I decided to drop out of the MBA program at the University of Central Florida, I was also someone who was self sufficient and took care of myself. I mean, not completely. My husband and I, right? But you know, I was just 
didn't have scholarships and these types of things. So I, I applied to three different schools. So the one school that I ended up going to was Palm Beach Atlantic University was because I had asked, and I know some, some people, they don't believe in this, but for me, I believe I was just confused as to what I was going to do because I still needed to work full time. I need to figure out how to pay for grad school. So I was driving in my car to work. And I said to myself, I said, God, please just help me. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, this commercial comes on the radio station I was listening to, Z88.3 here in Orlando. And it was a commercial for Palm Beach Atlantic University Counseling Psychology Program. Wow. Because I heard that commercial, and it's not even done yet, Brad, because I heard that commercial, (laughs) I ended up calling the school, applying for it. But the 360 moment is about seven years ago, I was the voice of that radio commercial for here in Orlando, promoting as an alumni Palm Beach Atlantic University and you people were hearing I am the salt and the light right so yeah it was amazing just that moment was completely 360 from like this is the reason why I got into Palm Beach Atlantic University now I'm the voice and now I'm the you know helping them bring in new students so yes plenty plenty moments of God to me reinforcing that I'm exactly where I need to be and I'm doing exactly what he wants me to do I'm just saying that as a Christian woman that my own belief system Yeah. And that, I think that's incredible. It it really truly is an incredible feeling when you find your purpose or your mission on this earth and get into that, like dive into that head first. But when your mission or your purpose gives back and impacts people, it is the most incredible feeling in the world. There's That's like winning the lottery twice. First of all, finding your purpose and your mission. But second of all, have what you do, have that work impact and give back to people. It is like, it's incredible, truly. Absolutely. It is definitely rewarding. No. I was reading through some some of the numbers and stats for domestic violence and I mean staggering and horrific and of course the statistics increased during the pandemic which is horrible which I'm sure you saw a lot of you probably saw an increase in clients coming in during that time. Can you speak a little bit about the stats and also I'm curious to know I know we briefly touched on this but the number of cases what the number of cases are when it comes to men who suffer from domestic or toxic relationships because again as we spoke men are a lot less likely to come forward and speak about it because of that shame factor. Absolutely. So during the pandemic when the world shut down we in particular became very busy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm laughing but not. So we were especially in my space and my specialty, we were fully staffed and running through the pandemic through telehealth. And because we are considered essential services, we were still seeing people in person, right. actually. Oh, wow. So what we discovered is that we can probably spend hours talking about this, but I'll make it short, <laughs> is through the pandemic, when the world got shut down, in particular for couples, even kids, when everyone is now home together, we removed all the distractions of medication, I'm talking metaphorically, of avoidance, of all the things that couples or families were not addressing. So when the world got shut down, and just like we were all kind of collectively going through a a certain level of trauma, depression rates were higher, anxiety rates were out out the roof. And then as you probably know, I don't need to even tell you this, because this is probably all over the news, just alcohol sales were up, were you know, skyrocketing, people were currying, cleaning shelves because they didn't know when they would get their alcohol again. Right. So we have alcohol abuse that was occurring. We have pornography abuse that was occurring. And imagine this all happening under the same roof 
with your spouse that was used to going to work. And now you are still trying to cope with your anxiety, your depression, or potentially your addiction that your spouse didn't know. So a lot of discoveries happened for couples, a lot of discoveries to, you know, this is not just one story, many stories of the affair partner could not stand her affair lover being home with his wife. So then showing up at his doorstep and acting as if she's the Uber Eats driver, right? Police being called. We have multiple variations of that type of stories. And then if you have kids in the home where there was already abuse, abuse becomes even heightened, emotional abuse, physical abuse. So we had all of these types of things that was happening. And then you're in these same spaces and everything now becomes increased. PTSD, right? So when we look at in particular domestic violence, I believe the statistics, I have not looked at this in a while, I'm going completely off of my own memory, as I believe it was around 25 to 30% that it rose during the pandemic, right? So we, and and that may sound like not a lot, but it is a lot. That is a lot. (laughs) When When you consider, you know, what's happening in homes and we are still you know, even at this place of coming out of it, so to speak, we're still seeing the effects of what was happening in the pandemic, right? When people joke about the other side of it, COVID babies, right? We're looking at it from all the other traumas that people were experiencing in the home with their abusive spouse, abusive parent, you know, or dealing with someone who is now abusing alcohol to deal with their anxiety, depression, loss of job, or, you know, not necessarily used to, looking at their partner every single day and realizing that I'm married to you, but I don't even know you. I don't even like you. Right. So all of these issues were coming up and divorce rates, you know, we look at the divorce rates from that time to now are extremely high. And and I'm not sure if you're aware of this statistic, Brad, but second marriages are now the new norm where first marriages are now the minority when we look at the statistics. So, you know, we take all those things into consideration and um, you know, it was a, to me, an awakening. So we can look at this. We can look at all of this and, and feel the sadness of it and feel all the stuff. But the beauty for me as a mental health professional is the conversation coming out of pandemic is very different. Mental health is taken serious and all of these other things that, you know, were there, but there was still a lot of stigmas and just a lot of different things around mental health. The conversation has been so much needed and yeah. highlighted for out of coming up independent. Well, as you can probably tell, I can go on and on and about that, but I will stop right there, Brad. <laughs> that, that, that could be, that could be a whole other episode in on its own <laughs> for sure. <laughs> what are some of the warning signs that we can all look for, look out for in a toxic relationship? Well, there's a lot, mm-hmm. but I will only stick to three for the sake of time. Right? There's <laughs> a lot because that is my specialty. But yeah. what I'll tell you and the listeners in particular is I look for patterns and not problems. So from a relationship space, whenever you bring two people together that have different ideals, different upbringings, there's going to be certain levels of problems on a spectrum. That's to be expected. But when we have patterns in a relationship, again, that's very different than problems, patterns for example, patterns of disrespect, right? There's a a common sign right there of a toxic relationship, but it's also the reason why I say patterns of disrespect, because it's also one of the ones that's unnoticed. I can give you all the ones, emotional abuse, physical abuse, right? All those other things, but patterns of disrespect can come very subtly and can be passive aggressive. That means that I can say to you that, yeah, yeah, I'll call you when I'm going to be home late. 
but when the time comes, I know what you asked me for, but I'm continuously ignoring you, ignoring you, ignoring you, but I'm right. passive aggressive and saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So patterns yeah. of disrespect, that's, that's what I would call a low level example. Okay. And then we have another common example. That's not so common. As I say, it, it sounds like you would know you would recognize it coming through the door, but most in my case, women don't recognize is control. So when someone is now trying to control where you're going, what you're eating, how you're dressing, who your friends are, what you're watching, and they don't necessarily, when I say people will think they can see it coming through the door, they don't in the sense of it's subtleties. So it's okay. Let's say if you're watching the housewives, I'm just going to use heterosexual female language. That's what I work with is that he's coming through the door and he's like, are you really watching that again? And she's like, oh yeah, I like that. All right. Well, right. That's subtle. Versus right, yes, coming very... in, why are you watching that garbage? That would be more overt. In your um, face, yeah. In your and, face, and taking right? taking the remote and changing the channel. Exactly, right? So that would be obvious of yeah. a toxic dynamic. Yeah. I'm So the ones that I like to focus on, the ones that are less subtle, because yeah. over time, just like the mold behind the wall, eventually it's going to come down. So that would lead me to, you know, and I'll just give you one more. A third sure. one would be the loss of self. So over time, because now she wants to please him. So now she starts metamorphing, become a chameleon. And now she decides that she's going to try to make him happy. So I'm not going to watch the, and right. nothing against these shows are just examples. Yeah. I'm no longer going to watch the housewife shows. I'm no longer going to wear a skirt beneath my knees, or I'm no longer going to do, we can fill in the blank. I'm not going to do these things because he really loves me and he really wants what's best for me. So I don't want to make him upset. So I'm not going to do those things anymore. So what happens is you lose yourself over time. Right. The things that you would enjoy doing, you start changing them and you completely abandon yourself in order to please your partner. And I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about you completely change yourself. So whenever that person is around, it can be in a 20-year marriage. It can be in a five-year dating relationship. It doesn't matter as far as when these symptoms occur. And that loss of self is, okay, I feel anxious and I don't want him upset with me. So I'm not going to either speak against him or I'm not going to share with my opinion or, you know, it's just better just to give in because I don't want to avoid the conflict. I hear this all the time, Brad. Yeah. is I'm going to avoid the conflict. So I'm just going to go do what he wants. I don't want to deal with it. So that right. loss of self over time. And then that's when it's harder, especially for my women that are in toxic relationships, it's harder to get out because when it gets to a point where it is time for that season to end, and I never make decisions for people, but they right. get to that place. And that's why they come in, but they just yeah. don't know how I like that. You know, I always think of country music, you know, come here, go away, you know, yeah. one step forward, one step back is I can't leave him, but I can't stay either type of dynamic and at that point there. Now, when I go back to the other one, I mentioned the patterns of disrespect and control. Now she's lost her friends, right? Because she's yeah. not as close to them anymore, because over time he would find something wrong with her friends and continuously criticize them. Right. Because when you want control, you want to isolate the person. Absolutely. So sometimes in these relationships, it happens very slowly. And in her mind, she's now convinced herself that he just really wants what's best for me. Right. So then yeah. now she has no friends. She's distanced from her family and it's just her and him. And she doesn't, she's irritated. She's doesn't know who she is. And that's when she comes in and that's when she'll say, Janie, but I love him so much. And, but I can't stay either. I don't even know who I am anymore. Those are signs of toxic relationships. And again, I could probably give you a lot more, but I'll stop right there. <laughs> so how can women who are experiencing these, and of course, the more, the more um, obvious and overt ones, signs of abuse, and reach out and ask for help? I mean, in connection with that, what can we do 
as outsiders to pay attention, like for friends and family members that may be dealing with this, to pay attention and support those we suspect are in those types of relationships? Well, the first thing that I would say is that most women don't even realize they're in a toxic relationship until it gets really, really bad, unfortunately. And many times I can just tell you the reason behind that is because they haven't necessarily done their work to understand why they are attracted to certain types of people. We all have you, I, we all have it, right? It's just a matter of we're aware of it or not. That's the difference is we all have what I call a dangerous person profile. It's the person who's good for us. And there's a person who we are attracted to from a familiar space. So if you had, for example, an avoidant mother, just use very basic examples of an avoidant mother, then you're probably used to chasing women who are not necessarily avoidant, right? So we have these types of dynamics. And if it's just a matter of, okay, well, Brad's aware of this now. So he can recognize when a healthy woman is coming through the door and when a unhealthy woman is coming through his door, so he can make a healthy choice. But for some of my women, they're not in a place of awareness. They're in a place of reactivity. What that means is, and I'll get this really very common is that it feels so good. I feel like I met my twin flame, love at first sight, chemistry, right? All this other stuff. And they don't realize that if they grew up in a place of chaos and a place of, you know, heightened emotion from a place of trauma, then of course, someone that feels dangerous, someone who is dangerous from, I'm talking about from an emotional standpoint is going to feel very attractive. I call it the bad boy syndrome, yeah. right? So when they get into that place of awareness, then they make different decisions. So that's the first thing that we come up against. And the reason why I say that, Brad, is because usually when they come to get help, they've already have been to a lot of different experiences, I should say. So they come yeah. to us using a place of desperation, So one of the things that women can do to get help is there are groups, especially now, this is the beauty from pandemic. A lot of great things have come from COVID, so to speak, is there are online groups, there's Facebook groups, there are so many groups online. I have a women redeemed group. And the reason why I point to online first is because sometimes when people reach out to get help, they hide it from their spouse if they're still in the relationship. So they don't want that person to know, or if that person's controlling, then they're going to talk bad about therapy, or they're going to talk bad about whatever. It's very common. So there's resources like that. But if their spouse, so to speak, who's left them, left them for someone else, They're coming from the place of trauma, grief, devastation. So we do get people that come, but they usually come when they're under crisis. So to answer the second part of that, usually people around them know and pick up some subtleties, but they're afraid to step on someone else's toes. People will say, and this is unfortunately our culture today, is that, well, that's none of my business. Well, she wanted me to know. No, if you have good friends, and I'm talking about good, healthy friends, they know how to, and they should not necessarily step on toes, but they're going to ask you, you know, Susie, what's what's really going on? I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. You don't answer my calls anymore. You know, what's really going on? And then she's like, well, I'm just busy with the kids. No, 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 Susie. Tell me what's really going on. You and I have been friends for 14 years and now sitting, you're dating this guy and I don't hear from you anymore. Right. So the first thing is a friend asks a question. You ask right. them, especially my, you know, and I love Brad when we had this hashtag strong woman checking on your strong friends yeah. because it's so true. So many times people look like they have it all together, but they're the ones who need the help the most. 100%. So ask the right questions, check in on your friends, and make yourself visible. If you if you feel like there's something going on, visible doesn't mean you're coming in aggression and here I am. It's yeah. like, what can I help you with? You know, if I have some time, can I pick up some groceries for you? If you make yourself present, then that means you're also making yourself safe and you remove judgment. You remove shame because I also see the toxic friends. 
well, girl, you just need to leave him. Why are you putting up with him? Blah, 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 blah. And then what yeah. happens is and she realizes I'm not going to talk to them because I'm ashamed and I'm a guilt because every time I talk to them, I'm back with him. Right. So very, yeah. very common. So quickly, just to summarize that is to ask the right questions, make yourself a safe person by being there to support her. If she says, you know, I'm busy with the kids. Well, how can I help you with the kids? Yeah. All right. And, and, and don't give up. If you feel like she's pushing you away, just be the friend that you would want to be if you didn't know how to communicate what was going on for you is keep yourself consistent, communicate, and be non-judgmental, and do not give unsolicited advice. I cannot say that again. Do not give unsolicited advice. Do not tell someone what they need to do, especially if you're not in their shoes. Just be a supportive friend. Right. Okay. Beautiful. Now, with all that you deal with on a daily basis in your work, the things you hear, the cases and clients you see, do you find it hard, or maybe you don't now so much because you've been in the field for a while, but at the beginning even, or maybe still now, but do you find it hard to not bring your work home with you? And how do you deal with that so that it doesn't spill over into your personal life? In the beginning, I did. (laughs) Right Right now, it's completely different. I completely enjoy my life. And I'll tell you how I got here. Okay. (laughs) But in the beginning, I'm such a, um, you know, I would say a recovering codependent, so to speak, is I wanted to rescue everybody. And it's since, especially when I was enlightened in my own life, And there were times where I could not sleep where, and I do believe one of my strengths is how I'm so relatable from a relationship standpoint in this relationship space. But I remember one of my clients, um, I'm changing this details for the sake of um, privacy. One of my first clients who was an underage person who was now sexualizing herself after she experienced sexual trauma. And I could not, you know, and I was, could not understand it as when I was just an intern, I couldn't understand. I would not, I would not be able to sleep at night. So I'm researching, I'm overextending myself where it's affecting, you know, my own relationship. It's affecting my own health. And because I realized what happened, which turned things around for me. And I'm a big believer, especially for in the relationship space, we're in a therapy space, a helper healer space is we have to constantly have accountability. So today, you know, I have my own therapist, my own business coach, I have accountability people have, you know, all types of stuff. But back then to turn around for me was someone who I'll look as a mentor. And they said to me, and this was really profound to me, Brad, they said, you're trying to save yourself. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, you are trying to be what you needed and you can't do that. And it took me time to really get that in my own journey. And it was exactly the truth is in my own history, in my own dysfunction family growing up, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. My dad was a sex addict. He was a drug addict and alcoholic. And my mom was codependent, depressed and all those things. And I was a a middle child of eight children. So I I was a typical (laughs) middle child, felt invisible, wanted to be the rescuer, all those things. And when it was pointed out to me and I really started doing my own journey, I learned tips, tools, and the inside out work that I could not do that because ultimately the very thing I wanted to do, which was to help my clients was the very thing I was not doing by getting in the way. So when you see me today, (laughs) I absolutely have, I enjoy my life. And I felt like for so many years, if I can go back and change the hands of time, I would do a lot of things differently. I would feel like in many times things happen for a reason. So let me say I'm a believer of that, but I believe I wasted so much time. So now I enjoy my life. You see me at the beach, you see me at concerts, you see me reading, you see me journaling, you see me running races, you see me doing social events just this weekend went to a concert. So I really, really make sure I take care of me. I no longer take my client's stuff home because I realize that it's going to hurt me, which is being a parent, it's going to hurt my family. And that's not something I'm ever going to compromise. 
people have choices in their life. And I look at myself as the Yoda, right? So I can be there to guide, give wisdom, teach all those other things. Yeah. But Yoda has to go back and take care of Yoda as he's meditating. And that's, that's right. <laughs> Dr. Janie. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Janie. That's awesome. In your opinion, what is the most important quality or skill set in a therapist? Well, I am a state supervisor for the state of Florida. So mm-hmm. I supervise a lot of interns and I can tell you, what I see time and time again that I realize has really, and I do not, I, and I'm saying this unapologetically, as a yeah. therapist or a coach or anyone in the helping space, is she has to do, she or he has to do their own work. And we have to live a healthy life. Right now, I am the most effective because I live a healthy life. I take care of myself first. <laughs> Yeah. And I make sure that I am good and I'm far enough away from my own wounds. Or if I'm going through something similar of my clients, I have enough discernment and wisdom to say that I can't work with them. So right. when you do your own work, you have awareness to be able to say that and to do that. So I believe in understanding why they do, I mean, the therapist, why they're becoming a therapist, and then being far enough away from their own wounds from when it, there's something called transference. We can transfer our own issues. So if I had to say a quality, let me not go on and on, as you can see. I could bring compassion about these things. I could go on about all this stuff, but quality and a skill set would be doing her own work and understanding her wife. I had to, to build it down. And you, as you can hear that Brad has nothing to do with EMDR or learning this uh, modality. Yeah, this, exactly. this school. It's her showing up in all of herself because as a supervisor, I'll tell you what I see all the time is people hide behind. I'm saying this as someone who has a doctorate. They hide behind their titles. They hide behind their certificates. They hide behind their trainings. I want to see as a therapist, who are you? And I'm not talking about from an inappropriate standpoint, but from from the interns, I look at, do I want to sit with you? Right. How do you show up in this space? Because I work with a lot of interns who, and I understand in the context of me teaching them, have so much anxiety. Their anxiety walks through the door before they do. So how am I going to, as a client, going to feel comfortable with you when you don't even feel comfortable with you? And I talk to my my interns exactly like I'm talking to you right now. (laughs) I love it. Well, that's the way to be, right? Upfront and honest and straightforward. Exactly. What is your greatest strength as a therapist? That's a good one. Absolutely. I think I said that earlier, um, but I'll I'll tight to being relatable. So my clients, I'm far enough away where they have confidence in my expertise, but I'm also relatable where they feel like I understand them. So when I get that feedback constantly through the years is that you're so relatable, especially Brad, when I speak to churches, <laughs> like going to churches, I like to disrupt that space, yeah. knowing scripture and, and not necessarily having to feel like I have to impress people with big words and these other types of things. I want you to know that I get you and that I see you. And so that relatability is um, what I would say is my greatest strength as a, as a professional therapist. As mentioned, you are the founder and creator of Women Redeemed. Can you speak and share a little bit about the organization and the work you do there? Okay, we need another hour for that, but (laughs) (laughs) I will be very brief. So Women Redeemed is a group experiential program that's birthed out of the legacy of my eldest sister, Carmen. So a little trigger warning for your listeners. So my eldest sister, Carmen, Carmen, she was that statistic of the woman who was leaving a domestically abusive, violent relationship while she was on a restraining order. And if you do not know this, or the listeners do not know this, the most dangerous time for a woman is when she's leaving a domestically abusive, violent relationship. And my sister became that statistic. So my sister's life was taken in front of my two of my nieces and nephews. So the father of my niece and nephew took their mother's life. So my sister, like most women that I'm talking about today, they don't share that they're in a toxic 
abusive relationship because there's shame and they hide it and they sometimes will self-blame. So my sister became all those things. So she's not here today to deal with her own stuff as to being in a toxic relationship. So that was taken away from her. So my Women Redeemed program was birthed in her legacy and through my research and through my work, I've discovered, and actually my TEDx talk um, talks about these three pillars that a lot of times as therapists, we do therapy wrong by this. We think having a woman who sits on the couch and just because she acknowledges her trauma, okay, right? So in my research and in my work of what I found to be most effective is experiential therapy, which has the three pillars. It's really looking at the mindset, the body work, and the inner work. And all three of those things and different types of uh, mixtures, depending on the person, have to be dealt with. So I created this premiere I have two other programs to tell you about in a moment under women yeah. redeem but the 12 week program is we are touching all three of those the mindset the inner work and the body work so what happens is the experiential part of that is we're tapping into all of that and for most of the women because I do keep track I like to keep track of who what I would consider relapsed and who has gone on and thrived in life because it right. also teaches me what worked and what didn't work So we have not only our 12-week program, but because of COVID, we also have online programs. So I have a monthly membership, which is a community base. It's just basically just $35 a month so women can stay tapped into community. And then the retreat is we take the 12 weeks and we put it in a weekend. So we partner with the Rage Room. We do equine therapy. We do yoga We have hire a chef, a female chef that comes in and stays in the, we rent a mansion in Orlando, Florida. She comes and stays in the house. She teaches the women how to cook for their bodies, does a cooking demonstration, completely, completely experiential in in every single way. And that's been my, my heart and my soul is to see women go through that program. And even though it's tough, because ultimately, Brad, whether you are male or female, it is tough to cut open yourself. And you are now becoming aware of the things that you were unaware that you were unaware of. And part of that is looking at all your yuck. It's not about blaming our parents, not about blaming your toxic relationships. It's about, okay, I got to learn about me. And I always say the school of me, the PhD, we can get psych D's and PhDs in everyone else's school, but yet we don't have the school of me. So it's taking them to school so that they can get to a place of self-mastery. So at any moment in time, all of that walking, I call it the walking dead because we truly are walking dead that we're just programmed and we just con- you know unconsciously walk around and repeat the same thing but we have to constantly you and I yeah. right, we have to constantly stay in a place of awakeness and we have to be in a place of proactivity and giving the skills and the tools and then once they get the results Brad they want to stay awake when they yeah. get the results once that alarm clock right when you think about it from an alarm clock analogy you and I don't know we're sleeping until the alarm clock goes off and says, right. hey, it's time to get up. Yep, for <laughs> so sure. when they go through the program, that alarm clock goes off and they're like, wow. And they want to start living, but there's patterns and there's programmings that they have to work out. And when they get a taste of healing, oh my goodness, it's the most sexiest thing they've ever experienced. <laughs> <laughs> Their whole world shifts so- and opens up, right? Their whole world shifts. So I am so proud of the Women Redeem program and more things to come. You know, I'll be releasing my book, Woman Redeem. The trademark is coming through right now. It's after a year. So all these other things is going to be teaching women how to do the work, not if they have problems, but they have patterns of toxic relationships in their life. And it's all birthed from my own story with my own family and my sister, Carmen. That is incredible work that you're doing, Janie. Absolutely incredible. Just beautiful. Now, you've received multiple accolades and awards for the work you do. What do those things mean to you on a personal level to be recognized by your peers for the work you're doing? It only means one thing for me. 
the accolades, the awards, the recognition, they're all nice. But what it represents to me is impact. Yeah. Is that when we make impact and it has ripple effects in our communities and workplaces and all these other different things. So when I've been recognized for different reasons over the years, that's what I feel like, wow, the work that I'm doing is truly making a difference. And it just means impact for me. What would you say is the most rewarding or inspiring thing for you about the work you're doing? Exactly that. You know, for one, I don't want to make it seem like my work is easy. (laughs) I know I make it look easy because I get that feedback all the time from my interns because I say, when you know your purpose, you know your purpose. Yeah. But it's not easy in the sense of you're pretty much, I like to use metaphors and stories, but it's kind of like you're going to war with someone and you're vest up and you're training them for war and you're walking through the valley with them in the mud and you don't know where you're going, but you see the mountaintop, but you just don't know how to get there. And when you're walking with people along that journey, it's not easy and difficult. It can be really difficult at times because you can see their potential and you can see where they're stuck at. But what happens when I mentioned earlier, when people are unaware that they're unaware, it can frustrate us as therapists because like, there's so much more to life. Just yeah. wait to see the light. You just want to say, see the light. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I think for me, the most rewarding impact I'm saying all that to say is that when I can see that the light bulb goes on for them, that I've made a difference and I'm just Yoda, I'm not the hero. They're the hero of their own story, but I can see that it's made a difference. The work and me hanging in there with them and I'm walking through the valley and I'm with the compass and I'm trying to help them figure out how to get to their mountaintop or their North star because we all have a different journey. So when I see that I've made a difference in other lives, it kind of fuels me to keep going. This is why you're doing the things that you're doing, Jamie. This is why God has this path for you when you thought you were going to be some businesswoman in you know corporate America <laughs> a different plan for you. <laughs> yeah, I love that the hero of their own story that's amazing. Beautiful. You had mentioned that you did the TEDx talk. So how did that opportunity come up for you to speak at uh, on the TEDx stage? Well, that's another long story, but I'll make it very short. So <laughs> I'm a big believer in vision boarding and so 2017 TEDx came to Orlando and I applied Brad and I got denied. And it was on my vision board at that time, 2017. I wanted to be a TEDx speaker. I wanted to speak my story. So I applied to Orlando, did not happen. So it's always been on the back of my mind. Every year it was on my vision board. Again, full going to today, things happen for a reason. I completely see that I was not ready in 2017, but I thought it was. So during the retreat, this is actually an interesting story. I have to tell it a little bit so you get the context of it. So during the retreat that I was planning, the one that we were doing, the the 2020, we ended up having a retreat that year. We actually did an in-person retreat in August. And about three days, I'm going to tell you the story because I do believe it's important for the context. I hired a chef that, not the one that we had, which was completely God sense, but I hired someone else. And it was a male chef that came highly recommended for me to me. And the reason why I hired a male chef for an all-female event is I wanted to have healthy vendors and healthy men around for my women. Yeah. And um, literally <laughs> three days before we were supposed to check into the retreat, I get a Facebook message from this chef. It was like one o'clock in the morning where they sent it. And I saw it in the morning. And I'm just going to change some of the description of the the, yeah. the message. Pretty much was telling me how beautiful I was and gorgeous and blah, blah, blah. Huh. And I saw and I looked at, I'm like, is this really? And I'm looking. So I replied back. I said, you know, I'm the person who just hired you to work my retreat. Yeah. Anyway, so they ended up saying, oh, it's the wrong person, blah, blah, blah. So that moment, I had the aha moment that I, there's no way I can have this man in the house yeah. To me, I'm wise enough, Brad, to know that that was not a mistake. He was baiting me For to see sure. how I was going to respond to him. Yeah. So I said to myself, 
there's no way I can have this person in this house. So I'm frantically trying to figure out another person to come into the house. And it just was not happening. So there was this woman who made a comment somewhere on Facebook as I'm calling people, Brad, frantically asking friends, everything just a few days before the event. So there's this woman that commented somewhere on Facebook and I just, her face just stood out to me. And believe me today, she is an angel to me, (laughs) (laughs) but her face stood out to me and I clicked on her profile and I saw that she was a chef and that she lived in Tampa. We're getting ready to have a retreat in Orlando. So I sent her a message, make a long story short. There are some details that matter, but I won't get all into it. So I sent her a message And she said, you know, let me look into it and see what I can do. Anyway, so she comes back. She says yes, not only says yes, but she just said, I'll just pay you for, you know, the food and the material because I really, really love what you're doing with women. And the reason why I'm bringing her in when you ask me about how I got to a TEDx talk is not only Natalia Levy, her and her husband own multiple restaurants in Tampa. They are multimillionaires. They invest in businesses. And she truly is a chef from a place, not only from her heart, but they have these, you know, my point is she didn't need to be at my retreat. Right. right. <laughs> so she wanted to, she just felt like God told her to be there. Right. So when she came, she's there and she's obviously seeing all the work that I'm doing with the women. So one night we're all just hanging out in the kitchen area. And she said, you know, Jeannie, you need to do a TEDx talk. And I said, you know what, Natalia, I've been wanting to do a TEDx talk in 2017, but I said, I think I got discouraged when I got rejected. And she said, you know, let's talk after the retreat. So I already thought this woman was an angel to me because yeah. who in the world, three days, who doesn't need to be there? And that's yeah. the key. She doesn't need to be there. Said yes to me, a person she didn't know, who just did some research and felt like I was really doing some quality work. So came, left her restaurants. Obviously she has employees and stuff. So she is an angel to this day. So after the retreat, I could not thank her enough. Let me just tell you that. But then she, she did follow up and said, Hey, I just do want to follow up with you. Do you want me to introduce you to Manal? Who's over the TEDx Ocala? That's where I did my TEDx talk. She did a TEDx talk. You can look her up. She's a fabulous woman. That's where I did my TEDx talk. And I would love to introduce you to Manal, because I do believe that you have a story and I can feel your passion. And I saw how you work with the women. And I said, yes. So make a long story short, she introduced me to Manal, who's over the TEDx Ocala. We had a Zoom meeting. And next thing you know, I delivered my speech in November of 2022. And let me tell you, two weeks, I mean, obviously this is behind the scenes stuff. Two weeks before I was to deliver my TEDx talk, my coach, because they assign you a speaking coach, wanted me to, and I did completely rewrite my whole entire presentation, my whole entire speech. And mind you, the TEDx talk, you memorize it. You memorize all the words. Right. So I was up day and night memorizing that thing. But the satisfying part of delivering that TEDx talk was not necessarily even the talk and sharing my story, was looking in the audience and seeing my 10-year-old son looking up at his mom on that stage. Yeah. I will never forget that moment. Oh, but anyway, sure. I'll stop there. There's a lot more that's, I can dice there for that's you. That's <laughs> incredible though. That's like divine timing, right? That's it was meant to happen. You were meant to get rejected in 2017 so that you could deliver the speech you did. Yes. This and time even that, that previous chef was meant to be a scumbag. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. It's all part of <laughs> you your journey. Got to move right? him out of the way so I can meet Natalia. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Janie, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I would say my curiosity and my faith, right? So when mm-hmm. I think about I've always, and I still am, I'm a big believer when I say faith, not just talking about from a Christian standpoint, is that I'm a big believer there's so much more for my life. Yeah. And I have not seen in my own family, in my own vantage point, 
my dad had a second grade education. My mom, very codependent. I didn't see business owners, entrepreneurs. I just saw, you know, and, and again, I'm not saying anything bad about my family. It is what it is, but yeah. low level thinking, you know, we only know what we only know. So my curiosity was when my dad was so, I don't even know, I would say afraid, but intimidated by his boss. And then I saw his boss, his daughters open up businesses and these types of things. I got curious, like yeah. what makes them different than us? Right? right. And I didn't know that as a little girl, but that was just my curiosity. So I was always curious. And I believe my curiosity and faith that I know that there is something so much bigger than what I knew in my family and that God put me on this earth for my purpose. And that my own purpose is not to be making millions and doing all these other things. My own purpose is that each and every person has some encounter with me, including you, Brad, yeah. that they're changed in some Absolutely. level of being better or being energized or being motivated because I was in their sphere. And those are little moments to me. Every single moment counts of every single person who's in your sphere. So that's all those part faith of the building, the building the story, right? It's all part Absolutely. of the journey. So speaking of success, Janie, what does that word mean to you? How do you define success? Oh, oh that's simple, Brad. <laughs> Peace of mind. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Peace of mind. I have, okay. you know, when I look at the things that are broken in my family, I've broken, you know, financial success, business, just all those things. But what I learned through those journeys, you can have the nice car, you can have the nice house, you can do all those other things. But if you don't have peace of mind, you have nothing. So True. peace of mind, that's it for me. I don't want anything keeping me up at night. Yeah. <laughs> What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Oh, easy. Understanding my worth. When I look back, you know, in my younger self, I am proud to be 45. When I look back at my younger self in my 20s, it's just not knowing my worth. People seeing my worth more than I saw my worth. So being, and I'm using this metaphorically, used yeah. and abused, stretched, you know, just giving from an empty cup, all those types of things. So I know my worth now, so I have boundaries. I know when I've been stretched. I know I can see the the vampire who's coming to suck my blood as soon as they come <laughs> to the door. Right? The energy so, vampires, yes. Yes, exactly. I so I it. protect that peace of mind and that energy because to me, that is understanding my worth. And we cannot have self-esteem. We can't have self-confidence. All those things. Worth is the foundation. So, and I'm not saying I've arrived. I've continuously in growing and learning but that would be what I would say to answer that question is um, that's the most important thing that I've learned in my life is I have to understand my worth because if I don't, nobody else will. Beautiful. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? The best pieces of advice I ever received was from my mentor, Paul Brunson. He worked with Oprah Winfrey. He now lives part-time in Washington, D.C. and London. And, and actually, you know, Brad, there's another full circle moment. <laughs> so I, I saw, I'll be really quick. Yeah. Paul, I saw him on ABC or Oprah, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I really dig that man. I really dig what he's about, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I signed up for a mastermind and worked with him in 2017. And guess what? Now I'm a contractor for his organization called Inmost Therapy, where we work with celebrities, high profile wow. people from around the world. And he only selected four people. And I'm Ooh. one of those four people, full circle moment. But one of the things that he told me that I think when I say this to you, you've probably heard this too, but I think sometimes when people say it to you in the moment that you needed to hear it, where you're open to hearing it and you receive it, it has all the power. Yeah. And he said to me one time, remember who you are. And when he said that to me, I knew exactly what he meant for me being a woman of faith. I'm a child of God. I'm Abba's child. And it just hit me in a different way. And my perception in that moment changed when, and obviously there's context around that, but when he right. just told me, always remember who 
you are. That's Simple, profound. But that was the, the best advice I've ever received. Beautiful. That's very, very profound. And it is, take you look at that on a deeper level and think about it, put the thought into it and figure out who are you. I love it. Mm-hmm. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Well, there will be two people and okay. I mentioned one already. It's funny. I am a woman of color, but yeah. the two people who have affected me the most are white men. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Michael Dykin, you know, forever my uh, surrogate father, the one who yes. was pivotal in speaking life into me. Yeah. And then the other one, his name is Donald Trotter. So he was a, a hospital office or hospital administrator. I would say he, he ran the logistics office. I was in high school and I was doing a I don't even know what you would call it, but they were exposing us high school kids to different careers. So I worked in his office and um, I worked with his secretary and he was Dottie. And the reason why I say he had the greatest impact on me is just being in proximity, is being in proximity and seeing how he worked, how he spoke and how he moved. It gave me, again, curiosity that if he's able to do that, why would I not be able to do that? And this is completely funny, Brad. So on his wall, he had his degree from Long Island University's TW Post uh, campus. I graduated from the University of Central Florida, Palm Beach Atlantic University, and then my doctor's at California Southern University. But my first university, which I did not graduate from, was actually Long Island University's TW Post campus. And I selected that college because it was on his wall. And I said, I didn't have an identity. Remember, I just came from where I came from is just the circumstances of life I came from. So I would mirror things. So I saw his job and I saw his degree in his wall. And I was probably in 11th grade at that time where I had to make a decision. So I went to my guidance counselor and said, I want to go to CW Post at Long Island University. I want to study healthcare administration. So even though I did not fulfill that, you know, I dropped out of Long Island University. He impacted me because not only he saw me, right? Yeah. This little minority girl working in his office, helping him file papers. Yeah. But being exposed to him and observing things was a kickoff that there was so much more for me. And going to CW Post Campus, Long Island, some of those women that I met there are still my friends today, 20 years, you know, well over 20 years now. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I won't go on and on, but so it would be him um, outside of Dr. Dykin. <laughs> <laughs> Janie, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh, you're coming up with some good questions, Brad. So I try. Empowerment. <laughs> Empowerment, what means for me, I'll share with what comes straight to mind for me is to be able to walk out what our purpose and our choice is from a place of feeling our power, right? When we don't know our power from within, then we don't realize we have a choice. When I look back at, you know, my younger self, so to speak, I put myself in self-built prisons, right? right? So when I became empowered, I had choices. I was able to walk out into truly, and I'm still doing this today. I truly believe you, me, all of us, especially when we're in an awakened state, that we have the power to create the life that we want to wake up to each and every day. And sometimes in my women, I tell them it could just start with the picture that you open up your eyes to the picture that's right there in front of your face. As soon as you open the eyes on your wall versus having your room as a junk fest, right? It could be the small things that we create the life. When you wake up in the morning, where do you want to be? How do you want to feel? What do you want to look at? You know, and I feel like when, once I felt empowered to realize, you know what, Janie, you're not a kid anymore. You're building yourself in this self-imprisonment from these narratives from a young girl. You can do whatever you want, right? I can't be a basketball player, but whatever you want in the sense of that you can create a life that you, that you want to wake up to every single morning. And that's what empowerment means to me, Brad. Beautifully said. I love it. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. So you got me started. We'll be here for all night. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like keep it keep it short, Janie. <laughs> no, this is just a I section know. of the I'm loving this conversation. It's incredible. You are a beautiful shining star and I'm thoroughly enjoying the conversation. So if you came with a warning label, what would yours say? All right, rapid fire. Be careful. You'll be energized, motivated, educated, inspired, and you're leaving and you're leaving better than you came. What's the first thing you notice about a person? They're either confident or they're full of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe yourself in one word? Self-assured. I know who I am. What would your family and friends list as a couple of your best characteristics? Okay, you said best characteristics. I won't say stubborn. (laughs) No. (laughs) Focused. She's focused. She's determined. She's ambitious. And once she makes up her mind on something, just move out of her way. (laughs) Look out. Here comes Janie. (laughs) Uh (laughs) If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Oh, compassion compassion, 100%. What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? Time. I have more time. There's lots more people to impact in this world, but I'm in midlife here. (laughs) (laughs) If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Acceptance, that we can accept our differences and still still make an impact together. Acceptance, that's the word that comes to mind to me, acceptance. What is your personal motto? This should be an easy one. As soon as I say it, do the work. (laughs) We all do the work. We all impact our relationships, our workplace, and the world when we do our inner work, our self-work, become self-masters. It's a huge ripple effect. Mm -hmm. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) Can you tell me about a moment when a person's kindness made a difference in your life? First person that came to mind is actually a story I mentioned earlier, so I don't have to repeat it, but Dr. Valerie King, that she was kind and she saw something inside of me that accepted me into a program that I didn't meet the criteria for that created a huge, huge impact and a seed in my life as to the person I am today. And that was that leadership enhancement program that taught me how to speak and to expose me to, her name was Valeska Wilson, but exposed me to Valeska, who was a licensed mental health counselor. And I got curious and here I am. Beautiful. What's an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Oh man, yeah, that's easy. Is sponsorship. So my uh, show, Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey started because someone who I work with in different capacities, you know, you never know when people are watching you, Brad, that they were just observing me and they make a long story short, offered me $10,000, no strings attached that the world needs to hear your voice. And that was during the pandemic. And I started, let's talk about a Janie Lacey during the pandemic because someone um, gifted me about $10,000 to start that show. That's incredible. It is true though. You know, you never know who's watching for how long they've been watching you or when they're watching. So it is so, so true. I've found that out as well through different conversations. You know, people tell me they've been watching my journey through this path of women's empowerment that I'm on and the podcast. And it's, I had no idea. People sit back in silence and just watch. So you never know. Exactly. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Ooh, I'll tell you what comes to mind to me first is actually my grandmother. And the reason being is that my grandmother passed away when I was 12 years old and I found her dead. So oh my gosh. going to, she was 58 when she passed, right? Then I'm getting closer to that age, but I found her and she had a stroke. So I found her face down and, you know, when I look back, yes, I was young, I was 12, but I would like to now, the person I know with all the knowledge I have is to get to know her and to understand who she was as a woman, especially with knowing things that I know now, I would just yeah. love to have a conversation with her woman to woman and to understand who she was because she unlocks the key to, you know, the, the women in my family that yeah. came before me. Mm-hmm. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? 
the best version of me. You know, what I would say is exactly what comes to mind for me is I'm unbothered. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm at peace, I'm present, and I'm living self-aware, and I'm unbothered by, and I'm not saying the right people, right? I do care about what the right people think and feel about me. But I would be unbothered by all the chaos and all the stuff in the world that I cannot control. And that's the key for me. So I'd be unbothered. I'd be a, keep my peace of mind. I live presently. I'm self-aware and I'm continuously making an impact. And I'm showing up in that space because I've given the oxygen mask to myself. So I have a lot of, a lot of stuff to give. You're right. That is so key that, that being unbothered part where, and learning that the stuff we have no control over. Don't worry about it because there's nothing, not a thing in the world you can do about it anyways. It's just, it's wasted energy and wasted time. Exactly. What do you do to keep yourself inspired every day and to inspire others? Oh, that's easy. Right now I am part of the 5 a.m. morning club. (laughs) So I'm a big believer in each and every day, Brad, you and I, we get up and we go into what I consider the battlefield. We don't know what the day is going to hold for us. So I'm a big believer that we have to create a holy ground, right? Before we go into the battleground. So yeah. The holy ground for me is I'm up at 5 a.m. I'm a first getting my coffee, of course, but I'm journaling. I'm writing my gratitude list. I'm doing a devotional. I'm doing some level of exercise right now. I'm, pro- I'm probably just doing about 20 seconds of a plank. I'm doing 25 squats and I'm doing 10 push-ups. That's what I can do. So I'll alternate from that to some doing some yoga. So about 5 a.m. to about 6.30 before I get my son up for school, that's my time. And it's all about me feeding me. I'm listening to, right now, I'm really into Lewis Howes. I'm really listening. Someone put me on to him. And I'm listening to his podcast. And I'm like, just loving it. I just love hearing interviewers and just people actually like you, right? Because most podcasts, interviews, and yes, it's time consuming, but most of them are 20 to 30 minutes where you can't really get to the meat of stuff. So his podcasts are like an hour long or more. And he releases four of four of them a week. So listening to him in the, in my ear, once I get my son's lunch and six 30 and I'm moving and stuff, I I'm constantly feeding myself information, everything that I want to give inspiration, motivation, and education. And I'm a big believer that what we put in our mind is what comes out in the world. But if I don't give the first fruits of my day to myself, then I'm going to be a lot emptier, a lot quicker. So big believer, we all give the first fruits of ourselves, and we create that holy ground in the morning before we go out to the battleground, because I have more capacity. I have more presentness and I feel fulfilled because I woke up this morning and I was part of the 5 a.m. club, I love <laughs> but I also that. go to and bed you... earlier. I'm in bed by 10 o'clock. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> but you take care of Janie first and you need to, because as we all know, you cannot pour from an empty cup. So that's that's the most important thing. And that's not selfish. I know some people turn, well, that's selfish. You're only thing. No, it is not selfish at all. It's it's so important. It's key to everything. Exactly. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Oh boy, Brad, we'll be here all day, but I'll give you the short <laughs> version. I'll give you the complete short version of this. Janie, don't get distracted by people who are not good for you. <laughs> stay away from that cute guy you know (laughs) stay away from all the distractions that are people who are not good for you and your intuition is telling you they're not good for you that's what i would tell my younger self (laughs) run (laughs) run the other way janie run (laughs) Mm -hmm. lastly janie if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world your corner of the world your tribe your people what would that last 30 seconds sound like what would you say or what words of wisdom would you impart all right 
Oh, that's really good, Brad. <laughs> what I would say would be that no matter what you've been through, no matter what's happened to you in your life to this point, and no matter where you've been, and even in your darkest corners of the things that you're most ashamed of, to remember that you are loved, you are accepted, that you are worthy, and that you matter. That's what I would say. Simple as that. Simple, straightforward, right to the point, and impactful. Love it. Janie, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and sharing your story, a bit of your story and your journey with us. I am so honored and happy to have had this opportunity to sit down with you. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of the conversation. Good laughs, insightful, impactful information. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Brad. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Dr. Janie Lacey. She is the CEO and founder of Life Counseling Solutions. Thank you, Janie. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You too, Brad. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.